The Adventure Jogger, a podcast about trail and ultra running. Meet fascinating runners from the front, middle, and back of the pack, sharing inspiring and funny stories about life and running. Running should be fun, and so should running podcasts. I'm your host, Ryan Pluckelman, and this is The Adventure Jogger. One of the cool things about hosting a podcast is you get to meet some interesting people. You get to put a spotlight on some folks maybe you wouldn't know, and that's the case today. We go all the way to Montana, which the day of recording of this podcast is uh, is buried under a whole lot of snow, and we're going to talk to Montana ultra runner Nate Bender. Nate, welcome to The Adventure Jogger. Hey, Ryan. It's great to be here. Thanks now, for having me. You did some skiing. Like, like, so the snow is down. Like, you were skiing right before we started recording. Yeah, I'm, I'm up here in Kalispell, Montana. I live in Missoula, but came up to Kalispell for the weekend and hanging out with some friends. We went up to the Whitefish Mountain Resort, and they've got a great uphill policy, so we could, we could skin up and, and get a lap this morning. Uh, we had a nice, relaxed morning. Get a lap in. We'll do a podcast and then we'll go watch the game. Yeah. It's a good Sunday. It's a good mixture. Good variety. (laughs) So I'm in Tennessee and Mm -hmm. and Nate, I I don't know if you can see out the window. I'll give you a little, maybe, I don't know if this is going to show you. It's not going to work, but um, there is no snow on the ground. There probably won't be any snow on the ground. So you just said some things that sounded like Charlie Brown's parents to me. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I heard skin up and, and lap. explain that to me like i'm a moron who's never skied before yeah no no worries so um so you can there's a you know there's a type of skiing like you have got a different kind of binding that allows you to free your heel kind of like a telemark if you know how like telemark skiers are so it allows you to walk uphill you put these these skins on them on the bottom of your skis they stick to the bottom of your ski and they give you grip and so then you can, you know, you, you flip your bindings into uphill mode, then you can walk. It's like hinging at the toe, but your heel is free. You can walk up the hill and then you can lock down the heel. So then you're like in a normal uh, downhill mode where you're, you know, your toes locked in, your heels locked in and you're skiing like you would normally. And then you can come back down the hill. So it's, yeah, it's just like a touring setup is, is what they call it. Okay. Do you find that that's really like great cross training for ultra running? Yeah. A lot of ultra runners, a lot of runners in general get into backcountry skiing, that kind of backcountry touring in the winter or like ski mountaineering, schemo kind of stuff where and schemo is just like this more specialized version where it's skinnier, lighter skis, super light, everything, you know, it's kind of like the ultra running equivalent of the ski world yeah. or the touring world. Um, that's actually the race. I was volunteering at a race yesterday here up at the mountain called the whitefish Whiteout, And it's a schemo race. And so it's like a, you know, they had, they had three different distances, anything from an hour to about three hours was the long course. Um, and so folks, you know, skin up as fast as they can transition, ski down to different checkpoints and kind of go all over the mountain and, and we cheered them on. So do you find yeah. Nate that that's a great, like it, it allows you to take breaks? Cause do you run during the winter when there's that much snow on the ground, like a treadmill or something, or do you just take a break? 
Yeah, I mean, I run a little bit over the winter. I find that if I don't throttle it back, I definitely, the one winter I tried to just run hard through the winter, like four years ago, Mm -hmm. I got really burned out and had a tough time come spring. And so I definitely try and take a break mentally for like several weeks in a row, kind of in the fall or early winter each year and really step away from running. And then through the rest of the winter, yeah, I mean, I think I think it's good mentally to not obsess about running all year. I think it's good to have variety in your life. And like with the backcountry touring, um, you know, you're you're walking uphill, you've got weights on your legs. It's great for your for your hip flexors. It's a great way to and not only like besides all like the physical and physiological training and whatever, it's just great mentally to go and experience, you know, the world in a little different rhythm than running. Okay, so, yeah. that's that that you got me sold. Now I can't ski. If I, <laughs> if I bought skis, they, they would sit in the garage. They would cover dust and they'd never be used. And after a couple of years, I'd be like, "Why the hell did I buy skis again here in Tennessee?" But Nate, what I find with running is everybody has a story that kind of brings them to the sport. Uh, sometimes it's it's they lost a bet. Sometimes it's uh, addiction. Sometimes it's just to lose weight. How did you uh, get involved in running? Um, I didn't grow up running recreationally. I mean, I grew up playing team sports like mm-hmm. basketball and soccer, and I didn't really get into running just for its own sake until college. And for me, it was one of those things where I started hanging out with a group of friends as part of a soccer team. They were all into running. I thought they were cool. I wanted to keep up and it just kind of snowballed from there. One of those friends, um, talked me into running a 50 miler. Um, like six months in the future, he's like, all right, let's do this, you know, at the end of the summer. And I was like, all right, let's, uh, let's train for it. I didn't know what I was training for. I didn't. So, but we did it and I survived it. I was solidly like back of the pack. Yeah. Uh, but I survived it and, and really, you know, for, for me, what the inflection point was, was getting towards the end of that race, like three miles to go. And, and I could still run some section and, and it just blew my mind because that was by far the farthest I'd ever gone on my own two feet. And it just blew my mind to to think that, Oh my God, I can still move. I can still run. And so then, you know, you, you chase those little moments of, of kind of awe and inspiration about, you know, what your body or your mind can do. So that was the beginning of the end for me. That's crazy. There's like so many people. There's there's like this progression, Nate, where people yeah. are like, well, you know, uh, college started running, did a five k, a ten k, half marathon, then I ran a marathon, and then some weirdos told me about trail running. You really, <laughs> you went from like zero to fifty. I mean, yeah. I mean, I ran uh, a little bit and like I was fairly athletic, playing soccer and whatnot. But as far as distance running, yeah, I kind of just jumped into the 50 miler and hoped for the best. Yeah. <laughs> what, what had been your longest we're not, run? We're not, we're not going to talk about how stoked <laughs> up I was for like a week after that thing. Like I couldn't walk stairs. I was, yeah, I was a sorry sight. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine too. I just, just thinking about, I mean, the, the balls on you, Nate. Young, yeah. young Nate Bender. Was I, think it's the, I think it's the irrational enthusiasm, you know? <laughs> well, you call it irrational enthusiasm. I'm going to call it balls of steel. To just, well, hey, I'll take it. Okay. Yeah, just to sign up for that race and to be, to go that distance, 
And how, what was your farthest run up until that point, Nate? Probably about half that. So like somewhere like 20 to 25. Yeah. Man. And so it could have gone two ways. You could have been absolutely miserable and said to yourself, like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever done and, and never signed up again. But you talked about how awesome it was to see what your body could do and what your body could accomplish. So you kind of get the bug at that point. Absolutely. Did you yeah. know that, th- that there was more to this? What, what Did you kind of have an idea of the ultra world or were you kind of like, this must be a strange race, this 50 miler, that there's not many of these around the country? No, I, I really came into it blindly for a few years there. I didn't really understand the broader ultra running community when I first started. It was mm-hmm. kind of like this crazy thing that a few folks do. And I feel like I kind of stumbled into it yeah. uh, in a way. Um, and then, yeah, it, it was it was definitely like the more I got into it, the more I realized that there was this amazing community um, of, of people that are really into this kind of thing and and really supportive yeah but yeah i didn't like when i when i first started like that race was in 2012 and you know at that point i had absolutely no idea of (laughs) the universe of like endurance running no (laughs) that's 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 an amazing story i love when people go from like zero to 50 with no idea what's even even funnier for me now is like i i've really um kind of um like my niche is more, I guess, like more technical off trail kind of adventures. Mm-hmm. And that's what I really enjoy more so than like flat racing. Yeah. Um, you know, I like to joke that I'm not as fast as like the really fast people. And so I need the vert and I need the rocks to slow everyone else down. So I have a chance, but that race is on this 50 miles of dirt road up in Northern Montana, right next to Glacier National Park. Wow. Pretty close, like just outside the park. Yeah. And so to think back now, to think like my idea of fun back in 2012 was to go (laughs) run a flat dirt road and nothing against it. Like some people love that. But now where I'm at now, it's like the furthest thing I could ever want to do because I'd much rather go into the park and go climb mountains, you know? <laughs> right. But still, what was that race called? Do they still do it? The 50 miler on the dirt? Yeah, they, they still do it. It's called the Lake Riz ultra marathon. And they, they no longer do it where it was there. They've moved the course now. Mm-hmm. Um, they used to run it along what's called the hungry horse reservoir. And now they moved it to, um, it's called the, the inside North fork road, which is on the Western border of Glacier mm-hmm. national park. Okay. So I think it's even prettier now. I haven't ran that new course, but I've heard good things. Well, you maybe should. I mean, maybe, you know, sign up and don't do any running. Maybe run 25 miles. That's it beforehand and just see how it goes. Right. Like really get that nostalgic experience (laughs) of just getting trashed. Yeah. (laughs) It's nice to be miserable every once in a while. So Nate, you, you progress from there. And then when did you discover your love of the technical? Um, probably about 2015. I mean, I, so I grew up in a pretty outdoorsy family mm-hmm. and was in the, in the mountains a bunch. So like didn't grow up running, but grew up enjoying, you know, activity in the outdoors and, and spending days in the, out, in the outside. And so, you know, I kind of, and I've kind of always had that bug. I, I definitely get it from my dad as far as like, wanting to see what I can do. Yeah. And you know, so it wasn't, it wasn't, I didn't express that in running growing mm-hmm. up, but 
you know, always enjoyed going and, and rambling around in the mountains. And then as the more I got into running, the more I realized like, wow, this really opens up a bunch of new doors for me in the mountains and, and going off trail and whatnot. And so, yeah, I would say between like, uh, yeah, like 2015 was, was where it really started to shift for me. And without going to, I guess, too much into it, the, um, I used to work as a rafting guide in Idaho. Oh, and wow. I'd, I'd heard about this, this challenge that from another guide of climbing all the tallest peaks in Idaho um, in a single push. Like mm-hmm. this was this thing that these crazy endurance folks did. And so there's nine peaks in Idaho that are over 12,000 feet. And it just kind of like stuck in my mind as all good, bad uh, ideas do. And I thought that that would be this really neat thing to try and do. And so I worked towards that from like, yeah, from like 2012 to to 2015, kind of scouting the line and climbing all the peaks. Um, And then took a crack at that adventure uh, in 2016 with a couple of friends and just had you know, one of those eureka moments mm-hmm. where I was just, I, I loved the feeling of kind of being out in the mountains, you know, moving through the night, moving off trail, getting to share that experience with other people. We had my friend's dad was out there um, supporting us. Yeah. So we had that kind of support crew uh, feeling to it. And it was like everything about that experience I loved. And, and I think that was one of the pivotal moments for me. You know, um, we'll take a break just for a moment because the state of Montana, for whatever reason throughout my entire life, has kind of popped up here and there. I've, I've, I've visited the state of Montana twice, but I remember in fifth grade having to pick a state to do a report on. I grew up in Wisconsin, uh, oh, cool. living in Tennessee now, and so we had to pick a state, and I'm like, Montana! This is going to be great! And so I did my whole state report, and I've always been fascinated by yeah. the state, but but the, the impression that I have, and you can tell me, Nate, if this is stupid, is it's it's very outdoors. There's not a whole lot of urban areas, and it's just a, a, the people are hardy, and they and and there's and and you kind of you, you have a love of outdoors because everywhere around you, there's a whole lot of it. Is that the case? Yeah, I mean, there's variety, just like anywhere else. You know, we don't ride horses to school what? anymore. You know, we've got we've got electricity, believe it or not, <laughs> um, as as the old joke goes. But I mean, yeah, we are one of the larger states in the U.S., and we have just over a million people mm-hmm. in the state. So the population density is is pretty low, and like the city that I live in, Missoula, is seventy thousand people, which you know, is a decent sized city by Montana standards, but is very, very small by a lot of other standards. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, I think it, it just depends on where you're at in the state and the kind of people you hang out with. Because, But I would say, yeah, by and large, more people than a lot of other places are into the outdoors, pretty tied to to that whole scene out there, here yeah, yeah there's there's a reason i got an a on that report all those years ago yeah. nate uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i remember going to yellowstone when i was a real kid a small kid and we had to go into montana because i wanted i wanted to see montana I, I did this whole report i wanted to see the state that i was an expert on and yeah. I, rem- I remember buying a fluorescent yellow fanny pack 
that said Montana <laughs> on it at a gift shop. Yeah, right on. Wish I still had that Montana yeah, fan. Do you still have it? No. I don't. Damn it. I, I, of all the things I've thrown away through my life, I never should have got rid of that fluorescent yellow Montana uh, a fanny pack. But the Montana ultra running scene, you know, coming from, coming from the eastern United States and just kind of hearing about the big races out west, you don't hear much about the Montana ultra running scene. You hear about the Ruts race, which is a Mike Wolf and a Mike Foot deal, but you don't hear much more about the Montana ultra running scene, which is shocking to me because it would seem like, you know, Colorado gets a lot of attention, California gets a lot of attention, but it would seem like Montana would be the perfect state for a huge ultra running boom. Yeah, and I don't I don't know what you know beyond just saying or beyond keying in on the fact that we just have a lower population base than places like Colorado and California. I don't know what the reason for that is. Yeah. No, I no idea. So you're saying I should do another report is what you're saying, Nate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you go for it. Your (laughs) copious free time. Um, Yeah. I mean, because there are certainly, you know, I, so I'm a Montana native. I grew up here Mm -hmm. in Western Montana. And so I've got a fairly deep love for this place. And I think that, you know, there's, there's some world-class places Mm -hmm. here in Montana, whether it's the really well-known parks like Yellowstone or Glacier National Park or the dozens of other mountain ranges and, and uh, wilderness areas and national forests um, that, that we have. So, yeah, I mean, there's the, the potential is there. It's just waiting on the people, the ultra runners to come take advantage of it. Is there a 100 miler in Montana? Oh man, you put me on the spot. I stopped, I stopped the Montana ultra runner. I know. I'm going to say no. Okay. I, I don't, nothing comes to mind, and I, but I hope I'm not forgetting anybody. That's okay. If you remember later, I'll, I'll let you do okay. a correction. Just let I me know. I apologize to advance if I'm forgetting <laughs> anybody, but I don't think so. No. So, so <laughs> <laughs> describe to us then, kind of give us the... Like, hey, you're representing your state. Um, don't mess up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a good interviewer would have prepped you. Nate, I would have sent you, here's a list of things we're all going to talk about. This is yeah. why I'm a tertiary level running podcast, Nate. If you were on Trail Runner Nation, you would have got a list of all the questions they would have asked you, allowed you time to prep. The ginger runner's not putting you on the spot. Hey, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> it keeps me on my toes. I like it. <laughs> But give us give us kind of the, what what is described to us the Montana ultra running vibe. I I would characterize the ultra runners that that I know well here in Montana as I mean people are just by, like by and large there's just not a lot of ego in in Montana. There's a lot of pretty accomplished, pretty fit people and there's just not a lot of you know, a sense of, of people like needing to tell you all about it. Right. You know? Right. And, um, and I really appreciate that about the Montana scene. And there's a lot of kind of cool, you know, local, like locals heavy races um, here in Western Montana, at least a lot of, you know, stuff where it's just like a lot of Helena runners go here or a lot of Bozeman runners go to this race and there's some really neat races and but yeah i mean as far as the the people and the culture um 
Yeah, like I, in Missoula, there's a fantastic running community and yeah. the running store, like the Runner's Edge, which is our local running store, is really involved in the community and hosts a bunch of events um, and like puts on presentations throughout the year and hosts events, everything from, you know, the 5K turkey trots up to ultra level type stuff like the, the rut yeah. run mountain runs is within that runner's edge kind of umbrella. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I think of it as a pretty tight knit community where ego really isn't the driving factor. You know, it's interesting you say that because if, if I didn't know you were describing Montana runners, a lot of the things that you said really apply mm. to runners in the Eastern United States where, yeah. where I'm at. It's not a whole, it's not very flashy. It's not a whole lot of ego. It's a lot of local communities with some very, uh, you know, dedicated followings to some really local races. Um, is yeah. there alcohol involved in Montana ultra running? <laughs> yes. Fireball? What's what's the booze of choice for Montana ultra runners? God, I don't I don't know if there's a booze of choice, <laughs> but. You know, we were, God, we were messing with the Schemo racers. So I was, you know, volunteering at that race. Yeah. Yeah, It's Schemo and not ultra running, but we had a bottle of bourbon and we were, we were pouring out a bunch of individual shots for racers. There was surprising, uh, surprisingly large amount of takers on that. So yeah, I would say, you know, in the endurance community, it it runs deep. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what, Nate, you could come (laughs) run a race here on the beast coast and you'd fit right in. Nobody would know. They wouldn't go like, I think he's from out of town. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, it was it was good. Like, we couldn't get, like, you know, the one, two, and three top racers yesterday to, to go in for the shots. But I think number four did, oh. which, was like, which was impressive because number four is still working really hard. Oh, absolutely. Like, it's a little bourbon in his belly. Now he's feeling really good. <laughs> he's feeling better about being in fourth place. That's what he's feeling at that yeah. point. But you got to say, is the toughest guy on the course fourth place? Because first, second, and third were like, no, I got splits yeah. I got to maintain, man. But fourth might be the coolest guy out of that race. Style points. <laughs> All right. So, Nate, if if you had to, everyone listening from outside of Montana, and I think you've yeah. given us a good kind of vibe in a good description of the scene there in general. But if 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 someone was going to pick one race, a destination race to go to Montana and run a Montana Ultra, which one would you pick? I mean, the rut, as far as a really dynamic, high energy really just cool scene Mm -hmm. the experience that they have put together at the rut which is held at the big sky ski resort in big sky montana is uh i mean there's just not very many not only in montana but in the u.s i mean Mm -hmm. it's kind of a a european style race where spectators can take the lift up and so you can have spectators all along the course or just about you got you know you got spectators three quarters of the way up the mountain cheering you on and you just don't get that in a lot of ultra marathons. Mm. not that i've raced internationally i mean maybe right. someday but just hearing about it from other people you know there's a lot more of that going on um in european races where there's just spectators everywhere and so getting that kind of experience at the rut whether you do the 11k the 28k or the 50k like you can't get that in a lot of other races uh in the u.s it seems like 
And then they've just got a great infrastructure there to handle the thousands of people that, that come for that. Obviously not great this, you know, this past year for COVID, right. but fingers crossed for, uh, for this coming year. And then I, I think a great example of a little more like you may have heard of it if you're outside the state, but I've definitely heard about it. If you're in the state and kind of a under the radar race is, is this thing called the Bozeman Ridge Run in Bozeman, Montana. Mm-hmm. And the Ridge Run is kind of exactly like it sounds. It's a, a course that goes along um, this ridge just outside of Bozeman. And so you have these panoramic 360 degree views of the surrounding valleys. And it's just this kind of technical, it's a net downhill race. Yeah. You climb, climb like 6,000 feet, you descend 9,000. Um, and again, they put on a great scene as well. And it's a really popular race. It's in high demand. You have to put in for a lottery to get into it, but it's worth it. Very cool. That's great stuff. <laughs> two two really fine recommendations from you, Nate. Um, I wanted to talk to you about an adventure you had recently where you stepped kind of outside uh, the, the state of Montana and, and headed yeah. out to the Grand Canyon. A lot of people have done rim to rim to rim. That's, that's, that's not nothing new. Uh, but because of snow, you had to do the rim to rim to rim in a kind of different way. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like I said a little bit earlier, I kind of gravitate towards, um, uh, adventures and races that are a little more on the technical side or personal adventures that are off trail or in the mountains, mm-hmm. um, and whatnot. And so I was more interested in this route that's called the rim to rim to rim alternate route versus the, the standard route. I've run the standard route in the past. And, and so also kind of wanted to, to get a different uh, experience down in the canyon. You were tired of, the, of stepping in donkey shit, is what it was. You're like, ah, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, let's go somewhere where there's not all of that and, and all the people. Yeah. So, um, kind of keyed in on the, the alternate route, which is, it's just kind of a different universe than the standard route. It's probably maybe 50 miles to the west as the crow flies. So, really close, but also not, you mm-hmm. know. Um, the trails, it's the North and Bass, no, sorry, North and South Bass trail that you're on. And, you know, they're, they're more primitive. They're just marked with cairns and places. They're good trails in other places there. So it kind of, it goes from the gamut from good trail to marked with cairns and kind of hopping between rocks to bushwhacking. And the trail is kind of more or less not there. Wow. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just, uh, it's a much slower adventure than you know people trying to go and maybe run fast on the standard route and and it's more remote you know there's just not as many people going to to take on the bass trails um and there's no bridge across the river you have to swim oh wow or or take a pack (laughs) or take a pack raft down there so yeah it's just kind of a different beast altogether so you got to swim across the river twice yeah yeah how did that go for you the first time around? Did you did you bring a raft or did you did you blow up like a floaty, like some water wings? <laughs> yeah, I thought about the water wings. <laughs> um, no, so Jason and I, Jason Hardrath, who mm-hmm. who did it with me, um, we yeah we decided that the weather looked good enough when we hit the river that we'd be able to do it with just 
really light wetsuits um, because you know it's not it's not dangerous swimming. It's flat water. I mean, it's still moving because yeah. it's a big river, but it's not like you're swimming through a rapid. Right. Um, but I mean, it's a wide enough river. You're in the water for probably three or four minutes when it's all said and done, and that water is coming out of the bottom of the Glen Canyon Dam, so it's cold year round. You know, it's I don't know. It's in the like the low to mid forties. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's not super warm. And then, you know, here in December when we did it, it was probably uh, mid-50s and overcast by the time we got to the river. Yeah. It started out like in the high high teens from the rim. But then, you know, by the time you drop 5,000 feet to the river, um, it's warmed up quite a bit. So, yeah, I just I did it in, in running shorts and like a two millimeter wetsuit top. And and that worked out really well. Um for the for the first swim across yeah wow so you had to put that in your in your in your running vest you have a little wetsuit top in your running vest yeah totally so i ran so we ran down to the river from we started at the south rim and ran mm-hmm. down to the river with a little bit bigger packs so we could you know leave some food and water at the rims for when we would come back later in the day and we could leave our you know leave our wetsuits and whatnot all there and then once we crossed the river, then I had just a running vest. Okay, gotcha. So, yeah, I took that up to the north rim. So that's kind of the other fun thing about these kinds of personal projects is you kind of have to, you kind of have to logistic it, it all out, right? And and kind of strategize about what kind of packs you're going to take or how much food you're going to take or water for the different sections. And yeah, do you find a satisfaction in that, Nate? Where because you're you're more relying on yourself. There's a greater risk of failure because you're not. No one's really holding your hand in an adventure like this. This is all on you. If you screw up and don't bring enough gels, there's not an aid station seven miles down the road where you can grab a Hammer Montana Huckleberry gel and be like, "Okay, that's all I need." You really, it's it's more just you. Yeah, I think the personal projects like this and racing scratch different but related mm-hmm. itches yeah. you know racing it's more of a test a cardiovascular test and a physical test like just how fast can i go with with all these other variables held constant you mm-hmm. know you've got the safety net you've got a marked course um and there's just there's uh, joy in that absolutely yeah. but i find there's also a part of me that likes having to understand like whatever i'm getting myself into enough to do it safely and sometimes you know like this try and do it fast or do it efficiently right um but still that that process of kind of latching onto an idea and then researching it and figuring out what needs to be done what gear i need to take what kind of physical preparation i need to do i I love that process of of getting down to, to the brass tacks of it. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, yeah, certainly being self-sufficient, um, adds, yeah, it, it adds a different, uh, aspect to the experience than, um, being in the front country or, or being in a race, you know, like with this, the North rim of the Grand Canyon was closed for the winter, the South rim where we started, the road to get there goes through the Havasupai Indian Reservation, mm-hmm. which is closed right now because of COVID. They've kind of closed down their entire reservation um, to limit tourism. And so to get to the trailhead, we drove as far as we could. And then we took bikes 
and we biked the rest of the way. So we stayed out of the reservation. Um, so we biked with overnight gear to the trailhead and then started the next day. So, you know, it just, it just kind of felt remote, you know, obviously we didn't see another soul out there all day. Wow. So five favorite pieces of gear for these that you love to have with you, that you have to have with you when it comes to these self-supported big pushes. Um, sure. Uh, I love having trekking poles. Mm -hmm. I think they're valuable for stuff like this. It's just like you get to engage your four wheel drive. Yeah. Right. Um, having a good pair of shoes and I I mean, I won't like shoes are so different for every single person, but like having a good pair of shoes that, you know, works for you that has the grip. Um, okay. We have to do, we have to ask your preference though, because everyone wants to know about Nate Bender's feet. Nate Bender's favorite uh, pair of shoes. I I've been uh, I've been testing shoes for Arcteryx the the past year, and so I've gotten to to use their shoes. Um, and they have a shoe called the LD for long distance, and so I think it's the LD two. Okay, so Arcteryx LD two is what I use on this, and I really like it. Yeah. So, but I mean, it's it's so different for everyone. I mean, just yeah. like nutrition, there are there are broad guidelines that's good to stay within. But I think with shoes, with nutrition, there's a lot of individual variability. Are those yeah. arteric shoes? Are those for dainty little narrow feet, or are those for like a wider foot? Uh, I'd say they're they're standard. Okay, uh, so just not, middle of the not, road. They're not super narrow. I I definitely don't like super narrow toe boxes, mm-hmm. and they work well for me. Yeah, I uh, you know I get sensitive toes, so <laughs> my toes go to breathe. So, yeah, so what so. you're saying is. <laughs> If an ultra fan ran in, in Arteryx, they'd be like, this toe box is too narrow. That, that can't be that Nate guy said that. He is so full of it. Yeah. All right. You got two more. Two more pieces um, of gear. Two more. Oh, no. You, so you, I think you only gave me two, so you got to give me three more. You're on the spot now, Nate. Okay. Um, I've been using – so, like, for something like this, using um, – so I use the ultimate direction, um, one of their fast packs, Okay. the fast pack 25 liter. And I've used that pack for thousands of miles of, of walking around in the mountains. Uh, I had a friend who's really handy with gear design and a sewing needle, modify it with extra pockets and a whole, a canister holder for bear spray. Yeah. So I can have my bear spray right there. And obviously I didn't need it for the grand Canyon, but I love that pack. I like that a lot. That one works really well. Um, gosh, what else? Having, um, like, I use the Gaia app on the phone. Okay. So it's kind of like, you know, GPS apps like that have made paper maps pretty non-existent. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, like this example with the rim-to-rim thing is a, is a good example of, you know, here's a route that neither Jason or I had ever been on. And we're trying to do it as efficiently as possible, but there are dozens upon dozens of little twists and turns in this route. And sometimes they're obvious and sometimes they were not Mm -hmm. in the sections where you're bushwhacking or you're going through rock. And so being able to like quickly check if you're still on route is invaluable, is really helpful. So that was good. Um, What else? Oh, the Katadin B-Free water filter. Oh, okay. Have you seen this? No. So they're great. It's like a, it's like a 
five or 600 milliliter soft flask, just okay. like a regular soft flask, mm-hmm. but it has a filter built into the cap. Oh. So you fill it up with untreated water, close it down, and then as you squeeze it, it filters. That's a game changer. It's They're great, yeah. I think Solomon has ma- started making a similar product, um, but the Cadden one is really nice. Um, and like Jason and I both had those, and we're, you know, we didn't have to stop too much on this route, but had to stop a couple times if with water that you didn't really want to just bend down and drink. Right. Um, but having that, that water filter where you don't have to stop and spend time pumping or anything like that, where you could just fill it up and keep moving. Um, that was, that's real nice. That yeah. is nice. Cause it changes the game for you because you're, you're now, you don't have to carry as much water. Cause I mean, if, if you're if you don't have that filter, you've got to carry something to make the water drinkable, or you've got to carry a whole lot more water. So that kind of is a game changer. Yeah, yeah. I feel like everyone's got, or a lot, you know, a lot of people have different. Um, some some people swear by water filters like the Cadenin thing. Some people swear by the little tablets that mm-hmm. you can put in water. Some people swear by the pumps. But you know, there there are a lot of different options. But I do like the the convenience and the portability of just being able to fill up the soft flask squeeze it and go so yeah this rim to rim to rim deal going back to that for a second was everything yeah. peaches and cream and rainbows and and wonderful was it a was it a pretty uneventful rim to rim to rim i mean in the grand scheme of things yes absolutely in a little more zoomed in version we i mean we did get snowed on pretty good going up to the north rim so, you know, like I said, it started out, you know, we started in the dark early in the morning. It's in the teens, um, but not snowing. And then by the time we got to the river, it was like 50 degrees, T-shirt weather. And then as we're climbing back up to the north rim, like to get to the halfway point, mm-hmm. we started getting up to where there was snow on the ground and it started snowing on us. And it wasn't that bad, actually, for either of us on the way up. You know, you're generating a lot of heat. Yeah. Um, but then on the way down, all the bushes were wet with snow or water and we, neither one of us really had enough layers to truly be comfortable. And so we kind of put on everything that we, that we could and, uh, and just had a couple hours of just trying to put our heads down and get to lower elevation where it would be warmer because we were just soaked and freezing and it, it was, uh, you know, there's, there's one section on the North Rim where as we were going up, the trail kind of uh, switchbacks up out of the canyon that you've been, that you've been walking up. And it, it switchbacks up to this plateau mm-hmm. that, that kind of swings wide of the canyon. I think it avoids some, some waterfalls and some okay. cliffs and whatnot. So it's just, it just kind of skirts all that. But as it gets up there, you kind of like go out, kind of sandwiched in between these two cliff bands and you're you know, it's a big wide ledge. You're not in any kind of danger, but it's just a neat spot. You know, you're probably 500 feet above the Canyon. It feels very remote and very awe inspiring. And I was just raving about that section on the way up. And then two hours later, as we're coming down, I was just in, I was miserable. I was free. (laughs) I couldn't feel my hands. I was like running as fast as I could down it. And the wind was whipping grapple up underneath my hood. And I was just like, get me the hell out of here. So it was really like a tale of two different cities, you know? <laughs> That's amazing. It's good to see it kind of in two different spots, right? Like you're, yeah. you're in the glow of the early, 
you know, you're not even halfway at this point. And then two hours later is you're, you're, you're cold, you're miserable. And you're like, ah, damn it. This is horrible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like amazing what the difference two hours will make. That's for sure. What, what yeah. do you do food wise yeah. on these long, these long treks? Like how, what kind of calories are you packing? I mean, pretty standard stuff. I mean, I'll pack trail mix, Snickers. I like pro bars mm-hmm. um, and nut butters. Like pro bar makes a nut butter. Um, I work with Huma gel. Okay. So like those chia gels. Um, and I like those a lot. I think they're, they're a little, um, uh, they're not quite as thick as a lot of other gels. And mm-hmm. for me, at least personally, I feel like they go, they go down easier and I like the taste. So, so those are, those are great. Um, I, yeah, I find like I eat a lot of like chocolate and chocolate derivatives, hmm. which is <laughs> which is good, like right up until it's not. But <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I think like all of that kind of stuff is is what I packed for uh, for this day. Okay, now you're not making your own homemade burritos with something in it. You're just going, eh, I'm gonna have some pro bars. No, I mean I'll definitely make some homemade burritos sometimes or some. Um, you know, like some kind of like energy ball mixtures, you know, that, that you can make. I'll yeah. definitely do that sometimes. Um, but not on this day, I guess. Yes. Yeah. I, I was lazy and just went with bars. Yeah, you want to pre-order over here to pro bar type of mood. Nate, what are you looking forward to? What is kicking around in your noodle for 2021 that you'd like to look back in December of 2021 and go, Oh, I did this, 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 and this. Oh man, there's, there's all sorts of things. I think like a lot of people, there's a bit of, of pent up energy mm-hmm. and desire to go out for adventure and whatnot in the coming year. Um, so hopefully as, as more people get vaccinated, we can kind of get, you know, and back into some, some semblance of right. a rhythm again. Um, a big goal that actually I've been working towards for the past two years is to go and, and complete um it's like a four-day traverse through Glacier National Park, um, oh, wow. linking together several of the the tallest peaks in the park. And so I've been looking at this with um, with a friend. And like I said, we've been looking at it for two years. I got shut down by COVID last year. And then the year before, I, I got hurt before it, and so we couldn't do it. And so I, I'd really like to go and do that. And so, you know, it'd be one of these things where you – get to go and work hard in a beautiful place and mm-hmm. get to share that experience with a good friend. Um, so that's really high on the list for, for personal adventure for me. Race wise, yeah. are you looking forward to any races this year? You know, I haven't signed up for any races. Actually, I would consider the I'm tough 100 mm-hmm. uh, in September. That's in Idaho. Um, I've, I've raced that before and I'd, I'd like to do it again. I uh, just really like the the atmosphere in the course mm-hmm. out there. So haven't signed up, but I'm considering that one. Okay. Yeah. Um, social distancing would seem to be pretty easy for you to do in Montana because you've got one of the biggest land masses with one of the fewest amounts of people. Uh, <laughs> has COVID hit Montana pretty hard and shut a lot of things down? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It sure has. So you're even more, you're used to being alone. Now you're even more alone. You're more alone. You can't do organized things. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been difficult. Like, uh, I'm in, I'm in grad school right now and the whole school experience has gone to a, you know, a remote learning Mm -hmm. zoom style. Um, 
experience for everyone. So all of my work, all of my schooling is remote and that works for some people. It doesn't work that well for me. I've, I've struggled with it. So, um, again, in the grand scheme of things, I don't have a lot to complain about, but I am looking forward to in-person. It is going to be ridiculous. Yeah. When, when things kind of go back to normal, I have a feeling it's going to be this month or two over giddiness to see other people and interact with other people and do yeah. things. You know, it's like it's gonna people are gonna be they're gonna be really huggy. The world America's gonna be very huggy <laughs> once once things start opening up again. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I know, I know I will be. Yeah, he's practicing right now. He's got a dummy in his apartment, he practices hugging the dummy just to make sure he's got the talent down. Yeah, I'm not I'm not too cool to admit it. No. <laughs> <laughs> Nate Bender, thanks for coming on, man, chatting with me. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you on. Uh, by the way, everybody, adventurejogger.com slash gear. We have Adventure Jogger Joggers, which you need in your life, don't you? We are 100% listener supported. You can make a monthly pledge on our Patreon page. Just search the Adventure Jogger on Patreon or go to theadventurejogger.com. Join the community on Facebook and Instagram by searching The Adventure Jogger. And subscribe to The Adventure Jogger wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a single episode.